Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! Pursuit! Pursuit! A criminal strikes and fades quickly back into the shadows of his dark world. And then... The man from Scotland Yard, the relentless, dangerous pursuit when man hunts man. Now, with Ted DeCorsia starred as the famous inspector Peter Black of Scotland Yard, we bring you tonight's story of violence and murder, three for all. Sometime, somewhere, somehow, every man touches another and leaves a scar. A word is said, a deed is done, and a mortal hate is planted. And sometimes that hate can become death, violent death, murder. Then a man must be hunted. A man must be stalked. Through a city's crowd, through the sunlit noon, through the twilight shadows, through a thousand places. And finally, a man must be caught. Pursuit. At Scotland Yard, that's our job. Inspector Black? Yes, Sergeant. Chief Inspector Harkness wants to see you. He said, please hurry. Oh, thank you, Moffat. Right away. Oh, good morning, Black. Come in, come in. Sit down. And thank you. Sergeant Moffat made it sound very urgent, sir. Did he? May or may not be. I want your opinion on it. On what, sir? In this note. Came in this morning's mail. It's made up of letters clipped from a newspaper. The thing was addressed to me, and it says, A man, Melville Rogers, will be found dead today with a knife in him. He will be dead. May I see it, sir? Well, of course. Have we found a man with a knife in him today, Black? Not yet, sir. We've had many notes of this type before, and nothing has come of them. Uh, however, Black, will you look into it? Of course, sir. Excuse me, Black. Darkness here. What? Yes? Now give me that address again. Gruber's Tea Shop, 12 Buxton Lane. I have it, thank you. Well, Black? Yes, sir? They have found a man with a knife in him. A man named Melville Rogers. You'll look into it, won't you? Moving about your business. Stand back, please. This way, Inspector. In here, sir. Uh, thank you, Mark. That one's Mrs. Gruber, the proprietor of the restaurant. I see. I shall want to talk to her in a few minutes. The deceased, sir. He was stabbed to death as you see him sitting at this table, looking out of the window. You've established his identification. Yes, sir. Name's Melville Rogers, lived in Kensington. Known to Mrs. Gruber over there. Had his meals here every day. I see. And uh, who are these other people? Those three? Customers, sir. Dining at the time Mr. Rogers was discovered dead. Hmm. 
Uh, tell me, Moffat, who noticed that he was dead? Mrs. Gruber, one of the customers? This one. Oh, I did, sir. Oh, I did all right. And who are you? Charles Bennett, sir. Two N's and one T. I live in Quimby Street nearby. Did you get the name, sir? Charles Bennett. Yes, yes, Charles Bennett. Uh, tell me, Mr. Bennett, how did you happen to discover this man was dead? Well, I'm not a physician, sir, but that knife sticking in his side, and he wasn't breathing, sir. Yes. No, I'm not a physician, but there are ways to tell when a man's dead. Naturally. You noticed this as soon as you came into the restaurant? Oh, no, sir. When I came in, the place was crowded. Not a table. So I waited. Even when there was a place to sit, I waited. You might wonder why I did that, sir. Yes, I might. Well, you've noticed I have a withered arm. Yes, I have. I don't hide it very well, do I? Oh, it's not that I'm ashamed. It's not that at all, but... You were waiting for this particular table. Why? Because, uh, well, it's obvious. It's the only table near the window. So I might sit and none of the other customers would notice me. My arms, sir. What do you do for a living, Mr. Bennett? Not much I can do. Odd jobs. Pedal newspapers, puttering, you might say, for a wage. But sometimes I do a painting job on a house. But you see, sir, it's my arm, it's withered. There's not much a man can do with an arm, sir. And so it went. The routine questions and answers. The peering in upon a handful of lives which had been thrown hard against violence the important and impersonal data which would head a new file at Scotland Yard labeled Melville Rogers, Death by Murder. Melville Rogers, a recluse, a bachelor, a man who drove a bus from Battersea to Kingston. Not an enemy in the world, his friends said, which of course is ridiculous. Telephone for you, sir. Oh, thank you, Sergeant. Who is it? The caller won't say. A matter of urgency, though, it seems. Right. Inspector Black here. Who is this? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Who is this? <laughs> You're looking for me. Who are you? It's difficult to hear. I know. I've arranged it that way. <laughs> oh. Did you find the dead man, Inspector? Did you find Melville Rogers? I killed him. Sergeant Moffat. Trace this call. Better was it. Did you ask someone to trace this call, Inspector? I'll save you the trouble. I'll tell you where I am. Where are you? On Lyle Street, in a pub, the green dot. Yeah, but, but I won't wait. Listen, Inspector. There's a man here. His name is James Campbell. He's looking at me now, and he's smiling. I'm going to stop talking with you. Then I'm going to take a walk with James Campbell. Then I'm going to stick a knife in him. <laughs> Hello? 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 Lyle Street lies across the face of London like an open wound. It is a street that's well known to Scotland Yard. The brownstone buildings that line it present a facade of drab respectability, but within them is all that is depraved and vicious and corrupt. On Lyle Street, the essence of a man is measured in terms of his brutality. 
Here are the delicate refinements of crime. The long fingernails with razor blades beneath them for the slitting of pockets or of throats. The smirk of death painted on the lips of women. The green dot was no different from other basement pubs on Lyle Street. It had a massive door with a peephole through which a face peered out at you. And then you were permitted to enter because you were known. And because you were known, you were greeted with a bitter silence. Anything we can do for you, Inspector? I'm looking for a man named James Campbell. Do you know him? Now, there's a proper question, Inspector. And I'll give you a proper answer. No, I don't know James Campbell. Is any one of you James Campbell? It would be well to tell me if you are, because a man named James Campbell is going to be murdered. Oh. Now, there's an interesting bit of news, Inspector, and I'm sure all of us here appreciate it. Someone here telephoned me at Scotland Yard. Who was it, Arnold? Yeah. Now, you know better than to ask me that, Inspector. All sorts of people phone to all sorts of places. There's no accounting for tastes, you know. How long is it since you've been in prison, Arnold? A year, two. I don't rightly care to remember unpleasant things of that sort. It could be unpleasant again, Arnold, easily, quite easily. Beg your pardon, Inspector. Yes? There's a phone call for you. For me? Yes, in the, in the booth over there. Oh, thank you. And like I say, Inspector, all sorts of people come to all sorts of places. Black here. Hello, Black Hartness. Uh, yes, sir. I understand you're down there looking for a man named James Campbell. That's right, sir. Well, I had a telephone call just now. A person with a peculiar kind of voice. He said that James Campbell can be found at 12 Clover Crossing West. That's in Soho. Get over there at once. Right, sir. <laughs> Here it is, sir. Here's his room. Mr. Campbell. James Campbell. Door's locked, sir. Yes. Sergeant. Yes, sir. No one here in the sitting room? No, no. Well, there's some more rooms, sir. Uh, look in that one. And Sergeant. Yes, sir. Look in the closets. In any place that might be big enough to hold a man's body. Yes, sir. I'll search the bedroom. Steam boiled through the bathroom door, obscuring everything. The whole place was a miasma of white enamel, hazy, drenched with birds of sweat. And in the shower stall, a man, face downward, fully clothed. Blood seeped from a wound in his neck, and mixing with the water washed away. And then I saw it. A wilted piece of paper tacked to the door. A paper on which was glued words cut from a newspaper. Mr. Campbell is dead, Inspector, it said. There have been two. Tomorrow night at eight, there will be a third, it said. The 
second act of pursuit will follow in just a moment. But first, the shortest marathon in the world. That's the Arthur Godfrey daytime show on CBS. Every weekday, Monday through Friday, your man Godfrey entertains for 75 whole minutes, an hour and a quarter, and the time speeds by in nothing flat. Give a listen to Arthur Godfrey's daytime show every weekday on most of these same CBS stations. And now, back to the second act of Pursuit. Murder is an ultimate, and pursuit is a variation on the theme. But it so happened that this pursuit was in my domain, because all of London is Scotland Yard's domain. And in the morning when the papers brought the news to London, it was a city which slackened its pace to allow the horror to settle. Horror and fascination. It resolved itself into simple terms. A manhunt. Man the hunted, man the hunter. And it was the hunted who absorbed the city's imagination. The hunted who had taken special pains to make it known that some obscure lust for violence possessed him and he would kill again this evening at eight. Scotland Yard's part in it was not nearly so spectacular. All we had to do was find a man or a woman. Well, Black, you can't say this murderer hasn't given us fair warning. If you call 24 hours notice fair... Then more than 12 hours of that already run out. I tell you, all of London's aroused about this thing. I know it, sir, but frankly, I don't know how we can stop him. And if we don't, someone who's walking about alive in the noonday sun will be dead by 8 o'clock. Well, you'd better get busy then, man. Oh, good day, Sergeant. Good day, sir. You haven't much time. Get busy, he says. Haven't much time, he says. <laughs> well, what do you have, Moffat? You better have a look for yourself, sir. Yeah. The life histories of the two murdered men. That is, from what information we've been able to obtain. I see. Yes. The first man who was murdered, Melville Rogers, born in Chichester. The second, James Campbell, born in Guernsey. Mm-hmm. You see, Inspector? Their paths never crossed until 1939. And it's the part that's important. Both joined the RAF as ground crewmen in 39. On the same day, trained in the same camp. I haven't had time to get their war record yet, if that's necessary. However, there's this. They were both discharged from the Sheffield barracks near Huntington. Yes, according to this, on the same day. Good work, Sergeant. Thank you, sir. You say Sheffield barracks near Huntington. On the main road, sir, as you approach it from the south. Call them. Tell them I'm on my way. Good afternoon, sir. I was told to expect you. Uh, good afternoon, Private. I want to see the service records of two men. Melville Rogers... Oh, I beg your uh, pardon, sir. Service records. Two men. Oh, I'm afraid that's impossible. Did they tell you I'm from Scotland Yard? Hey, but I'm not allowed in those files, sir. Well, who is? Is that Trouble Private? Uh, Corporal, this gentleman's from Scotland Yard. Oh, interesting, Walt. I'm in a great hurry, Corporal. I need some information. A man's life may depend on it. A man's life, you say? What man? Who is the officer in charge here? I'm in charge temporarily, sir. What do you want? The service records of two men, Melville Rogers and James Campbell. Oh, are they serving in this barracks? Not now. They Then we wouldn't have such records, sir. I'm sorry. They received their discharge after the war from this barracks. I see. You see what? 
Look you now, you'll have to see the personnel officer through that door, sir. It's Flight Lieutenant Mordier you want to see. Thank you. Yes? Lieutenant Mordier. Yes? I'm Inspector Peter Black, Scotland Yard. Yes? I must see the service records of two men who were discharged from this barracks. Yes? Melville Rogers and James Campbell, it's urgent. Oh, now, really? It's a matter of life and death. A man's life may depend upon your getting up from that chair, walking over to wherever you have such records on file, pulling them out and handing them to I you. say. Do it. Do it fast. Well, it's quite impossible, you know. I don't know anything of the kind. Well, I was saying such matters must be cleared. S2 must clear it. Intelligence, you know. Files are confidential. Who is the intelligence officer? Major Browning, right down the corridor. The last office on the left. All the way down. Thank you. <laughs> I say, that, 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 that's a good one. <laughs> Just a minute. Uh, uh, the chap standing here wants to see me, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The yes. same to you, Bertie. <laughs> uh, yes, what can I do for you, old man? I'm Peter Black, Inspector, Scotland Yard. Uh, have a chair. I, I could ring for tea a little early. Mm -hmm. Oh, is it? What do you say? Uh, no tea, thank you. This is very urgent, Major. Oh, urgent, you say? Good, good. Very good indeed. Uh, What's urgent? A man's life is desperately close to drawing to an end, Major. Violently. A man will be murdered if you don't help him. What man, indeed? Huh? Major, hmm? there isn't that much time. I must have the files on two ex-members of the RAF ground crew. Two men who got their discharge here. James Campbell and Melville Rogers. Mm, uh, familiar names, both of them familiar. How familiar? Well, familiar. How? Hmm? Say something. How are these names familiar? Oh, should be. I court-martialed them myself. Huh? Campbell and Rogers and... Uh, yes, and what the devil was that uh, other fellow's name? Uh, I can't think of it, can't I? Well, think of it. You must think of it. Name, name, name. Timothy. Timothy Hearn. NMI, no middle initial. Timothy Hearn. That's what I want. I won't need the files if you can tell me why you remember them. Easy. On VE Day, these three rascals stole a plane. Swift. Swift. Absolutely. Celebrating. Loaded to the aileron. Stole a Lancaster. Flew around. Didn't fly badly for for ground crew men. Ran out of gas. Bailed out. Plane crashed into a house. Killed a woman. Mrs. Edward Stanley. So that's it. Motive, revenge. You say a Mrs. Stanley was killed? Uh, how about her husband? Can't tell you a thing about her husband. Edward, uh, Edward, his name was Edward Stanley. I tried to find him, make an adjustment, tried everything to find him. Fellow seems to have vanished from the face of the earth. Uncanny, what? Not really uncanny, Major. Uh, do you mind if I use your telephone? I can tell you this, though. If you want Timothy Hearn, Look in Cobb Garden. He, a busker there. Can't miss him. Oh, colorful chap. Uh, wears a red polka dot muffler. A colorful chap, yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, do you mind if I use your telephone? It's yours, old boy. Uh, operator, this is Inspector Black. Put me through to Scotland Yard. I want to talk with Sergeant Moffat. Hurry. I, I say, old boy, uh, while you're waiting, w would you like to hear the one Bertie just tell me? It's funny, you know. <laughs> uh, hello, Moffat. <laughs> Inspector Black speaking. Two things I want you to do. Trace a man named Edward Stanley, whose wife was killed in an airplane accident on VE Day. Do you have that? Good. And I want you to keep your eye on a busker named Timothy Hearn. Covent Garden. I'll meet you there. Yeah. 
Sergeant Moffat. Hello, sir. Did you find anything on Edward Stanley? Not a thing, sir. There's no trace of it. The busker, Timothy Hearn. He's right over there, sir, entertaining the crowd. A clown dances and sings on a sunlit street. And the grotesque shadows that mimic him are dead. I watched Timothy Hearn, the busker, perform for the queue waiting outside the theater. He was a little man with a clown's radiant face. He wore a silk polka dot muffler and tied natterly around his throat. His clothes were frayed, but somehow he managed a kind of regal relevance. Then he passed through the crowd rattling a tambourine. Some dropped coins into it, some didn't. Then he was standing in front of me. Did you like my pantomime, sir? Always aim to please, I do. And you know, I perform for the best I am. It was fine. Here, Timothy. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. I say, may I ask how you knew my name? It's not often we buskers are given any kind of billing from our beloved public. <laughs> Is there somewhere we could talk? Oh, I'll go on again in a few minutes, sir. Acrobatic dance. Uh, perhaps we could have a nice talk some other time. Good day, sir. I'm Inspector Black, Scotland Yard, Timothy. Oh. <laughs> a fellow professional, you might say. Well, that sort of puts a different light on it. We can talk over here by the vegetable stall, Inspector. Very well. Well, sir... It's true, I don't have a performer's permit, but I've been a chap's got to do something, you know. Uh, what's the fine, Inspector? You once knew two men named Melville Rogers and John Campbell. That was a long time ago, Inspector. I've already done penance for that. Rogers and Campbell were murdered. Did you know that? Yes, I did. How did it affect you that dying? After our court-martial, we never spoke to each other again. I guess it was the ugly shame of it, of all of it. Their death, how did it affect you, Timothy? I try not to think about it, sir. Timothy, this is a hard thing to tell a man, but I must. The murderer has established a pattern. I believe you are part of that pattern. Do you mean he wants to kill me, too? But why? I've never harmed anyone. Except... Except... Exactly. Except the woman who was killed in that unfortunate airplane incident. And someone who loved her very much is the man we're looking for. Before he murdered, he sent us a note. Each time there was a note announcing his victim's death. He announced yours would take place at eight tonight. What? And that doesn't give us much time, me or you. What shall I do, Inspector? Actually, there's nothing for you to do. You're to act as you always act. One of our men will be with you all the time. You won't see him, and you're not to look for him. But I want you in your own home before eight tonight. Before eight? Right, Inspector. I say, you catch him before... before we'll I... do our best, Timothy. I promise you, we'll do our best. There was no turning back now. I had made a choice and accepted a responsibility. And if I were wrong, I was offering up a frightened busker named Timothy Hearn as a sacrifice to a madman. It was a setting for murder. The background was precise. A dismal corner where Marleybone Road crosses Oxford Street, damp beneath an early evening drizzle where the wetness had spread the reflection from the street lamps into a yellow film. A corner where Timothy Hearn lived. 
a corner of shadows and silence. At seven, a police cordon was lined around the block. A few minutes before eight, I was standing in the doorway next door to Timothy's, waiting. Inspector? Yes, yes, Sergeant. Everything's ready. Good. All the intersections covered? Yes, sir. No one can possibly get through. Except the busker, except Timothy Hearn and whoever might be following him, if it's a stranger. Exactly, sir. All right, off the street now, Sergeant, in this doorway with me. Yes, sir. Sergeant. Sir? The underground entrance. Look at it. Oh, I think so, sir. The busker. Yes, on time. Right on time. Why, he seems to be drunk, sir. He's not drunk. Let's go. Timothy! Timothy Hearn! Tim... Oh, Inspector. Dead. Timothy Hearn, busker, dead. And it was my fault. But how On the underground, the one place in the world where he would be with thousands of other people and still be alone. Inspector, I... Oh, what's happened? Who are you? He's the officer detailed to follow Timothy Hearn. Then why didn't he follow Hearn? Why didn't he... Inspector, I... Why didn't you, man? If you'd done your job, this fellow would still be alive. I followed my instructions, sir. He was only out of my sight for five seconds the whole afternoon. When was that? When he got off the underground train. He was walking towards the stairs when he turned suddenly, dodged through some people and bought a newspaper. Newspaper? Yes, sir. The very one that's in his coat pocket. And certainly he wasn't wounded until he got off the train. Else he wouldn't have stopped for a paper. Sergeant, come with me. You think we'll find him, sir? What? I said, do you think we'll... Wait here, Sergeant. Cover this exit. Are there any others? No, sir. Did you just spot him, sir? You're sure there are no other exits? Only the emergency ones inside the tube. We'll not let him get that far, will we, Sergeant? And be careful. Our man is insane. I want no innocent people killed. Yes, sir. Uh, Inspector. Yes, Sergeant. You'll take care, won't you? Oh, thank you, Marvin. Now I'm going to see a man about a newspaper. Paper, sir. Evening Standard, latest edition. Paper, sir. Uh, how long have you been selling papers here, Mr. Stanley? Oh, you made a mistake. You have. My name's Charles Bennett. So you remember me, Mr. Stanley? Mr. Edward Stanley? Your face does have a familiar look, but you're very wrong about who I am. It's Bennett that I'm called. Everyone knows that. Bennett, the one with the withered arm. That's how they called me. Man of all work, that's me. And uh, how is Mrs. Stanley, Mr. Stanley? Don't speak her name. Perhaps I can tell you. Your wife was killed, wasn't she, Mr. Stanley? By an airplane that cr crashed into your house. By three tragic men who were celebrating VE Day. Isn't that how it was, Mr. Stanley? I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Her name's not to be used by scum like you. They were all that to you, weren't they? Rogers, Campbell, and now Hearn, dead. As you wanted them, dead. The circle is complete, isn't it, Mr. Stanley? No. No, not quite. Not quite. Put away that gun. There are innocent people here. Innocent? You're all guilty. Guilty. Sergeant Moffat, head him off. Come on, Inspector. Come and get me. Inspector, there he goes. He's on the track. Stanley. Stanley, come back here. The horror in that underground tube was a substance. A substance that pressed itself into my brain and down into my lungs. The body of a madman lay crushed and broken under the wheels of a train. And so, in a tragic shriek, 
was ended the life of a man. A man is hunted. A man is stalked through a city's crowd, through shadows, through a thousand places. And finally, a man is caught. Pursuit, and the pursuit is ended. Pursuit is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight's story was written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Featured in the cast were Raymond Lawrence as Sergeant Moffat, Bill Johnstone as Chief Inspector Harkness, and Jay Novello as Timothy Hearn. Also heard were Ian Wolfe, Eleanor Audley, Ramsey Hill, and Alec Harford. Special music was arranged and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week, Pursuit will bring you another dramatic story of the man from Scotland Yard, relentlessly hunting down those whose disordered passions breed violence and murder. With Ted DeCorsia starring as Inspector Peter Black, next week, same time, we will present another gripping story of man hunting man when we bring you Pursuit. When we say this fall, you hear them all on CBS, we mean daytime as well as night. Arthur Godfrey, Kurt Massey, and CBS's latest daytime star, Gary Moore, with his haircut, his quips, and his merry full-hour show daily, Monday through Friday. Gary Moore is here to entertain you on most of these same CBS stations. Get hep to the haircut as soon as possible. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. and a criminal strikes and fades quickly back into the shadows of his dark world. And then the man from Scotland Yard, the relentless, dangerous pursuit when man hunts man. Tonight's story, The Tall Man. A brief message from the Ford dealers of America. Clark Daniel, a construction engineer and builder, is one of more than 110,000 owners of new 1950 Fords. He says, When I build, I like to start with a solid foundation. So when I first looked at the 50 Ford, I got right down under and examined its frame. One look told me that this wasn't the frame you usually see under a low-priced car. It was quality. Sturdy steel worthy of America's finest cars. 
And the heavy-gauge steel of the lifeguard body told me the same quality story. But it was driving the 50 Ford that convinced me that I ought to be owning one. It's a fine car feel that sure makes me glad I picked a Ford. <laughs> yes, we Ford dealers of America don't want you to take anyone's word for this new 1950 Ford. You can't know how good it is until you test drive it yourself. Any Ford dealer will be delighted to let you test drive the 50 Ford. If you don't know his name, just look it up in the classified section of the phone book. Test drive it for power, for safety, for the quietness, which is its mark of quality. Yes, before you buy any car at any price, test drive the 50 Ford. It will open your eyes to how good a low-priced car can be. Now, with Ted DeCorsi as starred as the famous inspector Peter Black of Scotland Yard, we bring you tonight's story of violence and murder. Pursuits of the Tall Man. Hello, Moppet. Oh, good evening, Inspector. Filthy weather, eh? Yes, sir. I do hope your wife is keeping our supper warm. I hope so, sir. At the back of the shop. Oh, thank you, Moppet. Don't worry to stay here yet. No, sir. All right, let's go in. Oh, uh, Inspector Black. I didn't realize the importance of the case. It's nice to see you. Any chance? The bullet penetrated the left side of the body. No point of exit. Pierced the left lung. Internal hemorrhages. Can he talk? I don't think it'll make any difference now. You can try. Uh, Mr. Jason, I'm Inspector Black. I'm sorry, but I must ask you some questions. Do you know who shot you? No. Can you tell me what he looked like? He was big, dark clothes. You mean a tall man? Yes. I thought he was customer. Pulled out a pistol? Yes, yes, I know. I tried to reach the alarm. Mr. Jason. Let me see. Uh, Finished. Bad luck. I imagine you want the bullet? Yes. Send it to ballistics, if you will, and thank you, Doctor. Uh, Burglary details here, sir. Sergeant Fisher. Evening, Inspector. Oh, hello, Fisher. You're a lead, Muppet. Go home and enjoy your supper. Oh, thank you, sir. Come up with anything yet, Fisher? Not much, sir. Uh, At least we shan't have to look far for a motive. These broken jewelry cases, sir. You know, sir, this... Oh, fits into a definite pattern. Oh? Two nights ago, a jewelry firm, Macintosh Limited, was held up and robbed. And yesterday in Greenwich at Huxton House, also a jewelry firm, it happened again. Was there a description of the men? Well, both Mr. Macintosh and Mr. Huxton described the man as tall and wearing dark clothes. Mm, Then it appears that we're looking for the same man in all three instances. I suppose there were no prints. No, sir. No more than here. Well, I don't think there's anything more we can do here on the premises. No, sir. I, uh, I've posted a constable outside for the night. Oh, good. Send in your report as soon as you can, will you? All right, sir. Now, I knew I 
should have won my galoshes. Oh, I think it's giving up for a bit, sir. Come on. Never mind the battle, thank you. The yard, please. Yes, sir. We knew we were looking for a tall man in dark clothes. Our witnesses had agreed to that. Now we wanted a comprehensive record of every criminal who specialized in jewel theft. In particular, those who stood over 72 inches in height. We wanted the name, history, and picture of every man in our files who answered to those qualifications. From that point, the pursuit of the tall man would progress accordingly. your report? Yes. Yes, Commissioner. We're up against an expert, sir. Uh Then it's one man? No doubt about it, sir. At least as far as the actual deed is concerned. Witnesses' descriptions, even the man's methods. I see. Here's the breakdown, sir. Twenty-two men of the general description meet our requirements. Now, these 13 are in penal servitude at the moment. Two are waiting trial at Brixton, and of the remaining seven, four are known dead, and here are the other three. Hey, let me see. Huh? And Jack Cleaver, 74 and three quarters inches. Uh, unusually tall, eh? All three of them. Exactly. Well, I think that's about it, sir. It's a matter of identification now. May I use your telephone? Well, of course. Thank you. Back here. Would you notify Mr. McIntosh and Mr. Huxton that I'd like to see them at my office at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning? A routine identification. That's all. Mr. Huxton, sir. Oh, yes, of course. How do you do, Mr. Huxton? Uh, how do you do? Mr. Huxton, have you met Mr. McIntosh? No, I have not had the pleasure. How do you do, sir? Oh, uh, of course we we have met before. Well, have a way. Your face is familiar. Well, perhaps at the market, then. Ah, ah, possibly so, possibly so. Yes. Gentlemen, before I ask you to look at these photographs, I want to ask a question. It is our belief that the person who robbed your shops was thoroughly acquainted with the merchandise you had in stock. Now... All of you saw him, of course, at the time of the robbery. But do any of you recall seeing him prior to that? Well, gentlemen? Well, I have my regular salesman, customers, inspector, and, of course, my drop in trade, but uh, I can't remember anyone who spent a considerable amount of time in the shop. And you, Mr. Huxton? Well, no, I'm afraid I can't help you there. I most certainly remember him. I see. Would you both step over here, please? Sergeant Moffat, would you turn out the lights? Yes, sir. Now, gentlemen, I shall run these photographs through this lantern slide. We believe there is a possibility that one of these men is the man who robbed your shops and killed Mr. Jason. Now then, if you see anyone recognizable, stop me. Now, here's the first. Help me, sir. All right. What about this man? Cleaver, sir. Moment, Inspector. Yes, Mr. McIntosh. Uh, have you uh, have you got a side view of this one, Inspector? Yes, Mr. McIntosh. I'll put it in, Mum. Yes, sir. There you are, Mr. McIntosh, front and side. Have you seen this man before? I'm sure of it. That's the man who robbed me. Mr. Hudson? Why, I, I... Yes, I, I think. The lights, Mum. Oh, it's, it's incredible. I beg your pardon? Uh, why do you look at me like that? Uh, oh, I mean no offense, sir, but 
For the resemblance between you and the man I picked out is incredible. Even your size. Look here. Are you insinuating that Now, I... now, gentlemen. I'm sure Mr. McIntosh meant no harm. We'd hardly be likely to suspect a victim of a crime now, would we, gentlemen? Oh, oh no offense intended. No, no. I'm very much obliged to you both. I'm sure we shan't have to take up any more of your valuable time. Well, it's not my time I'm worried about, Inspector. It's my good. Now, of course, of course, I understand. Well, uh, good day, gentlemen. Well, now, Muffet, I think we're getting somewhere. You mean Mr. Huxton, sir? I think McIntosh's identification was no more than a witness's confusion. You might inquire further into his background, however. All right, sir. Although I doubt you'll find anything we don't already know. No, I believe Jack Peeler's our man. Uh, let me have that record card, would you? Here you are, sir. Thanks. Peeler, Jack Peeler. First arrested June 1939, connection with burglary, jewelry house, Sussex, conviction two years. Jack Cleaver, six subsequent arrests, following release, no convictions. Jack Cleaver, jewelry, robbery, swindle, 1947, released insufficient evidence. Hmm. Great many questions and a very few answers, eh, Moffitt? Well, that had occurred to me, sir. Hmm. Yes. But I think we've got it, Moffitt. I think we know our man. Now to find him, eh? Get me a car, would you, Moffitt? Yes, sir. Ted DeCorsia starred as Inspector Peter Black of Scotland Yard continues in just a moment. But first, a brief message from the Ford Dealers of America. More than 110,000 happy owners of the new 1950 Ford will tell you that it's just common sense to test drive the 50 Ford before you buy any car. Ten minutes will convince you that the 50 Ford tops them all. That's why your Ford dealer wants you to test drive the quiet, new V8 engine. It's the type used in America's most expensive cars. He wants you to test drive the magic action of the king-size brakes, which are 35% easier to apply. He wants you to test drive it for the feeling of security, of its lifeguard body, and the comfort and spaciousness of its midship ride. He wants you to test drive it for the Ford feel, which is a revelation of driving ease and pleasure. If you don't know your Ford dealer personally, you'll find his name in your classified phone book. Even a 10-minute test drive of the 50 Ford will open your eyes. You'll discover there is one fine car in the low-price field, and only one, the 50 Ford. And now back to tonight's story, Pursuit of the Tall Man. Engaged in crime is usually consistent in his actions. He will perform the same crime in the same manner again and again. And in pursuing the criminal, the assumption of this fact is the hunter's base of operation. So, on a rainy afternoon in London, the last words of a dying man described his killer. They describe a million men living in metropolitan London. They describe 500 with criminal records. They describe 22 men who could have committed a murder. And in the end, they describe only one man. One certain suspect. Good morning, dearie. You're up in the back early, aren't you? I'm Inspector Black, Scotland Yard. Oh, uh, what's up now? I'm here to question a man named Jack Cleaver, madam. Which room does he occupy, please? The big fellow. He ain't lived here for more than a year now. 
He always paid his lodgings on time, not like that dirty little... A forwarding address. No, thank you. sister. Uh, do you know where she can be reached? Letty? Oh, anybody knows where to reach Letty. She's making quite a name for herself around the corner at the Isle Spaces Theatre. She calls herself a dancer. But between you and me, I don't think her audience cares much what she does with her feet. You know what I mean. I, uh, I understand what you mean. Good morning. Wait a sec, I'm not changed yet. I'm Inspector Black, Scotland Yard. May I come in for a moment, please? So, so. You are Letty Cleaver. What of it? Sister to Jack Cleaver. And what of that? We wish to question your brother in connection with a series of robberies. It's no good you asking me about Jack. It will be easier for him if you tell us where we can find him. Why should I tell you anything? When all you've ever done is found him until he had to leave the country. You want to know where he is? All right, I'll tell you where he is. Here. This letter will tell you. He's dead. That's where he is. Cost his life out in Paris two months ago. You and your dirty, rotten prison sort of that. He's dead. I'm sorry, miss. Very sorry. And a cable was sent to Paris, and the French officials of the Surete confirmed the information. Jack Creeper was dead. So, somewhere in our pursuit, there had been a side-turning that we had missed. The next morning, we started the tedious process of retracing our path. It was Sergeant Moffat searching through the files and papers of the deceased who came across a detail which had been overlooked. Two weeks before his murder, Jason had discharged a clerk named King Kate. As Moffat put it, it had occurred to him that this detail might shed some light. As it turned out, it did. Why do you want to question me? Why, I've never done a dishonest thing in my life. Ask anyone. I'm sure of that, Mr. Kinkhead. Uh, tell me, sir, how long had you worked in Jason's jewelry shop before you were discharged? Better than four years, it was. And my discharge, two weeks ago, came as a great shock, I must say. Yes. During the last few months, did you notice any persons other than regular customers who frequented the shop? Why, no, sir. That is, except in his wife, and I suppose she had good reason. What do you mean by that? Well, I hesitate to mention it, but poor Mrs. Jason. She had good reason to keep an eye on him. <clears throat> uh, not a lady, Mr. Kinkhead? Well, in a manner of speaking, a woman. What did she look like? Oh, I'm not in the habit of looking at strange women, Inspector Black. I'm a happily married man. Oh, she was pretty and blonde, quite tall, well-formed, you might say. Would you know her if you saw her again? I should smile. Do you know her name? No, sir, I don't. To the best of your knowledge, did Mrs. Jason's wife ever see her husband in the company of this lady? I should hardly like to say, sir, but I wouldn't be surprised. Thank you. You've been very helpful, miss. I always tell my wife I don't know what to do.
understand, Inspector. But it's not pleasant for me to admit to a total stranger that my husband was involved with another woman. As I said before, Mrs. Jason, as unpleasant as this must be for you, there are questions that must be answered if we're to find your husband's murderer. I don't know when it started. Perhaps two or three months ago. He changed. Miles was never a very good liar. Perhaps it was my fault. I think I'd forgotten how to be attractive to him. I'm not young. I suppose he saw in her what he once saw in me. Please, Mrs. Jason. I'm sorry. You know, I once saw them together, and she was quite attractive. Her hair was blonde. Not like... Not dyed. She wasn't a dowdy, middle-aged woman. Who... You don't have to tell me anymore, Mrs. Jason. And if there's anything I can do, I... We should call on me. There are times in pursuit when the residue of violence is even more tragic than the violence itself. It is at this point in pursuit when I find that I neither respect myself nor find satisfaction in my job. Inspector, that you did not ask me here to speak of frivolities. As a matter of fact, sir, in a way, I did. Had you, in the weeks previous to the robbery, met a blonde woman, rather tall, and I gather quite striking? Look here, though. Then you did. I, uh, I consider that an extremely impertinent question. Can you give me her name, Mr. McIntosh? Why, I see no reason. This is official, sir. I must insist. Uh, uh, very well. Sylvia. Sylvia Pemberton. She'd come into my shop at tea time or at supper. It meant nothing. I stopped seeing her when I saw her with him. With whom, sir? Uh, the fellow me lad in your office. Paxton? I, I lost the one. I said to myself when I saw she had another on the string. Well, there's no hope for an old bloater like myself. So that was the last I saw of her. Do you still have her address? Uh, I never did. Oh. Well, possibly Mr. Huxton had better for You, uh, just caught me in time, Inspector. I, I was about to close up. I shall be very brief, sir. Do you know a lady who calls herself Sylvia Pemberton? I'm afraid not. Uh, should I? Uh, blonde, rather tall, attractive. Oh, my dear fellow, such a description could fit any number of my customers. Uh, she would not be a customer, Mr. Huxton. Uh, what are you driving at? Uh, I'm a married man. I am aware of that, sir. Well, I haven't the remotest idea of what you're talking about. I must remind you that in view of Mr. McIntosh's statement in my office... Uh, you mean the resemblance between... I see you follow me. I could ask you to come along with me. Well, 
There is a girl, Rita Wentworth. Now, I met her some three months ago. She is as you pictured her, but Rita couldn't be implicated. That is what Mr. McIntosh thought about Sylvia Pemberton. Or Rita Wentworth. Oh, heck, I can't believe this. You, 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 you mean that she is the man's accomplice? Possibly, Mr. Huxton, quite possibly. And now, perhaps you'll be good enough to tell me where I can find your Miss Wentworth. Oh, she's a dancer. You go to the theater, the Isis. Oh, yes, I know where it is. Uh, may I use your telephone? Uh, yes, yes, of course. Uh, please, please do. Thank you. Oh, uh, Moffat, would you be good enough to see that Mr. McIntosh meets Mr. Huxton and myself at the stage door of the Isis Theater about 8 o'clock? Good man. Oh, oh uh, Moffat, uh, if you think of it, bring my galoshes, will you? <laughs> Thank you. Now, sir. Oh, thank you, Moffat. Uh, this way, gentlemen. There you are, Mr. McIntosh. Can you identify her? I... That's her, all right. That's Sylvia. Uh, Mr. Huxton, you know her as Rita Wentworth? Yes. Oh, I've been a bloody fool, Inspector. I only hope it's not too late for me to recover my goods. I imagine you will, sir. It's unfortunate, however, that it's too late for Mr. Jason to recover his life. Well, gentlemen, I think we might as well wait for the lady in her dressing room. Sit down. It may be a few moments. Huxton? I, I'd rather stand. As you like. Uh, Moffitt, have a look around, will you? Yes, sir. Oh, look here, sir. Find something, Moffitt? I think so, sir. Good show, Moffitt. See what else we need again. Mr. McIntosh, have you ever seen these before? Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm not sure... The overcoat seems to be the right length. He was very tall. And the hat? It was black. Yes, I think it might be the one that he... And uh... you, Mr. Huxton, is this coat and hat familiar? Well, I I, I, I don't know. Well, during the robbery, I, I was so upset, I didn't notice what... But what about these, sir? And so that's it. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I think we've found our man. Or should I say, woman? Woman? Yes, woman. These shoes, gentlemen, are theatrical lifts. Note the heels. And they're built up inside. They would increase one's height some four inches. Now, I want you to picture Letty Cleaver, alias Sylvia Pendleton, alias Rita Wentworth, dressed in the clothes you identified, wearing these lifts. Quite good lord. Of course. Cleaver. Why, that's the name of the man we identified in your office. His sister. Exactly. Letty Cleaver. She's our tall man. Oh, Inspector. Yes, miss. Letty Cleaver, I am placing you under arrest for the murder of Mr. Miles Jason. And I must warn you that anything you may say will be taken down and given in evidence. The criminal 
animal is like the animal. His reaction to capture may be fury or sickness or docility. Miss Letty Cleaver was docile. Pursuit. And the pursuit is ended. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Grime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.